if uh, we needed to be told, he'd tell us. For sure. And that's exactly what he did. He crashed through my life like a linebacker, whether I liked it or not. But I did like it. Took me a second to realize it. I grew up in the cornfield and uh, didn't, didn't really even know any black people. And he came into my life and he showed me love. And, and uh, I'm so grateful for the things that I've been able to let go of, things I've been able to transition with. And it's all due to the grace of God, influence of this man, and I got a good, strong family that I love very much. So, praise on that while I do this. I always cry when I do stuff like that. It is okay. That's what I thought. Um, so today, the title of what I'm going to talk about today is No Excuses, Do the Work. So as uh, Keenan was saying, um, I've been there supporting him. I'll do anything he needs me to do. Amen. I know he'd never asked me to do anything unreasonable or out of God's will or anything like that, so I'm up for anything. I'm, I like to think of myself as his uh, offensive tackle. Amen. You know, There to block in the blind sides, there to mow the lawn, get people out of his way. Be there. Where else, and as far as being down with the kids, where else would I be? Where else would I be? I love that job so much. And that was a transition. When he first asked me to do it, um, I kind of tried to weasel out of it because I didn't really want to do that. But I was faithful. And those kids grew on me. And, the, uh, and some kids have come and they've aged out and new kids have come in. Just the concept of being down there with those kids, sharing in their lives, trying to help them understand just who God is in their lives as they grow into young adults, that's just a giant blessing for me. So, where else would I be? So let's get started. The uh, title, like I said, was going to be uh, No Excuses, Do the Work. This is a short but very powerful line that can be applied to any area where you may be planning to acquire something or achieve a goal. We all have things we want to do, places we want to go, things we want to achieve. I like to put that little line in anything I try to do. No excuses, do the work. Now let's not get reasons confused with excuses. If it was my goal to beat Serena Williams in tennis, it's kind of silly. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a second to picture me with my little tennis racket, my little headband, and my little tennis shorts. You got that? All right. So if it's my goal to beat Serena Williams in tennis, there's probably going to be a lot of reasons why I fall short in that. Right? But if it's my goal just to learn how to play tennis, what stands in my way might more likely be an excuse. I'm too old, out of shape, too much running involved. Those are excuses, right? 
Excuses get in the way of our goals. Reasons may curb or redirect our goals. To acquire anything longed for or to make a next level achievement, one needs to spend some time preparing themselves or strengthening themselves to be ready for the breakthrough once it occurs. Hence the name, no excuses, do the work. I wanted to start with a little story on how I got this title. It was about 1998, and I was at the University of Michigan for a baseball camp. That was the pinnacle of my teenage life right there. I lived, breathed, ate, drank, and my heart beat for baseball. And I was at what I thought was the mecca of college sports. I was at the big block M. I was there. It was one of the best times of my life. At that time in my life, baseball was probably the most important thing in my life. Being there at that campus, doing what I loved, was probably the most exciting thing I had ever been a part of. I was ready to give all I had to this experience. In our group was a guy named Joe. We had given him the nickname Joe Pro. He was a little bigger, a little faster, and a little more athletically gifted than the rest of us. The trouble was he never missed an opportunity to let us know that. Us and the coaches. And it didn't seem like he felt he needed to work as hard as we did. Joe Pro's reputation got around quickly and the coaches had his number fairly soon. As part of the program, we had to spend an hour or so in the weight room working with the strength and conditioning coach. Again, I thought that was just incredible. I was there getting taught by the strength and conditioning coach for the University of Michigan. I was in love. But Joe Pro was taken advantage of. On the wall in the weight room was a sign that said, no excuses, do the work. We were working on upper body exercises when Joe Pro decided he'd had enough. He told the coach that his shoulder was sore from the last session and he could no longer take part in what we were doing. I believe the coach had seen this move a hundred times before and he saw Joe Pro coming from a mile away. So the coach had Joe squat up against the wall in the seated position and he took a 45 pound plate and he put a 25 pound plate on top of that. This, this man was a huge man. He was as big as Mike McKee and he was like a bodybuilder type guy. So he took these two plates and he dropped them on Joe Pro's lap and told him to stay there until we were done. So Joe Pro sat there squatted against the wall with 70 pounds last, lasting on his uh, resting on his lap, and uh, lost my place. And he proceeded to tell Joe that he would let him know that he would let him know when he could get up. It wasn't long before Joe Pro started to sweat, showed a little pain on his face as we were continuing our workout. Before too long, 
Joe Pro decided his shoulder was better and he was ready to work with the group. <laughs> that sign on the wall must have hit home with Joe Pro because he seemed to hustle a little more that week. And I know it hit home with me. We are taught when we pray to pray with expectations. We're also taught to be careful not to treat God like the genie in the bottle who is waiting for you to decide when you want or need anything, who's waiting for you to decide if you want or need anything. God wants to answer your prayers. And I'm going to get into some bullet points as to what we need to possibly do, how we need to react, how we need to allow God to work in our lives to prepare ourselves with the blessings that we want and desire from God. He's ready to give them. He's ready to give them, but we have some stuff to do, if you will. Before God will give you the desires of your heart, God will teach you to delight in Him and commit your way to the Lord. So I had to look up what delight in Him means. I thought I knew, but I wanted to make sure. And to delight in Him means to invest in Him, to commit in Him to surrender in Him joyfully and willfully. Not just do it because you might get a prize on the bottom of the Cracker Jack box, but because you love God in a way that you want to commit your life to Him. Psalm 37, 3 and 4 reads, Trust in God and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord and the Lord will give you the desires of your heart. That's a pretty darn good deal, I think. But it's not a barter, is it? It's not a barter. And it's going to be made clearer as we go on. Here there's a clear link between receiving the desires of your heart with you delighting in God, being faithful, committing your way to the Lord, and living a righteous life, in short, obedience in God is truly essential if you desire to be blessed by God. This is true for many reasons. We're not earning things from God, but rather through our obedience we are positioning ourselves to receive the gifts God desires to give us. That's very important in my opinion. We can't look at the good, righteous things we do as the means to earn anything Amen. from God. We have to do these things, we have to commit in these ways, we have to submit in these ways, because we know who we serve. Amen? Amen? If you earned a gift, it's not really a gift, right? You ever had a gift you had to pay for? It's not a gift. You just bought something, that's all. Yeah, amen. The same is true of grace. Grace is the good we have from God that is undeserved. It's hard sometimes to wrap my brain around that. I'm trying my best. I'm a good person. What do you mean I don't deserve grace? We don't deserve grace. If we are to say we are good enough, we are saying that Jesus was not. 
Amen? We say we deserve the best of God. We're saying we don't understand why Jesus gave his life for our sins. So obedience is not about the earning things from God, but rather following the path that God is telling us to take that will lead us to the blessings he already had planned to give us. We get in our own way, though, don't we? So when we read the psalm again, Psalm 37.4, let's look at this promise as it was intended. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delighting in God is not the price we need to pay in order for God to bless us with what we want. If it was that simple, we'd all probably have bigger cars and better houses and better jobs and better lives, right? What are you willing to do to get that thing you want? We're not God's puppets. We're his children. Delighting, um, I read that. Rather, when we delight in God, we will be following the path that leads to the blessings God knows will satisfy our hearts. He knows what will give us peace. He knows what will give us love. He knows what will give us joy. We don't always know these things. We like to ask for fleshly things. We ask, like to ask for things that make us feel good and make us uh, euphoric, if you will. But God knows the things that will give our hearts the joy that we truly need. Amen. So in other words, if you make choices in life based upon what will bring you more joy in God, I'm going to read that again. In other words, if you make choices in life based upon what will bring you more joy in God, you will have a blessed life. Amen. For in James 1.25 it says, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So we can talk about it all day long. We can read about it all day long. But we don't want to be a hearer who may forget, but we want to live in Christ we want to live in his blessing, live in his goodness. And we want to be doers in these things, not just talkers. But before God will give you the desires of your heart, God will sanctify the motives of your heart. Our motives and our prayers need to align with what God's plan is for us. God sees our hearts. When we have bad motives, even when we ask for a good thing, God will say no. Have you ever asked for a selfish thing and then wondered why God said no? I have. In James 4, 2-3 it reads, You do not have because you do not ask God. If you want his blessing, you've got to start the conversation. Amen. You have to ask him. <coughs> But when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives. That you may spend what you get on your pleasures. 
does that mean? If I'm to ask God, and we don't even know we're doing it sometimes. If I'm to ask God for something that I think will benefit me, it will feed my flesh, and I'm not concerned about how it aligns with God, he might say no. Right? But if we are to focus on trusting that God knows what we need, he will direct us in a way to ask for the right. So he's doing it, he's doing all that because he loves us and he wants the best for us. It's not a control move or a uh, a power trip on his part. He's doing this because he wants us to live the best joy of peace, love, and joy that we can do here on earth. So if you want God to give you the desires of your heart, you have to first ask God to help you to have a pure heart that is desiring the right things. We must commit our ways to God. For as Proverbs 16, 2 and 3 says, All a person's way seems pure to them, but the motives are weighed by the Lord. Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. Every bad decision I've ever made in my life, they have one thing in common. When I was thinking them up, I was pretty sure I was right. But sometimes God has better plans. Be humble enough to be able to hear when God says, no, this might not be what you need. You'll be glad you did. God will give you the desires of your hearts when your heart's desires have been aligned with God's will. John 15, 7-11, Jesus said, these are in the red words, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. So how do you know if you're really abiding in God the way you need to? You already know you want this thing. You're pretty sure you're right. But how do you know that you are abiding in God at this time when you ask for this thing? By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so to prove to be my disciples. Jesus said, if you abide in the Lord, and you abide in his will, these things will be done for, for you, and you will know if you abide in the Lord by looking at your fruits. This is doing the work again. This is not necessarily giving money. This is not necessarily building a house for somebody. This is how you live in the will of God, how you love, how you forgive, how you counsel the kind of father you are, the kind of mother you are, the kind of friend you are, the kind of follower of Christ you are. I know pastors taught us uh, before where it talks about how you will know someone by their fruits. And Jesus says in this line, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. The Father is pleased when we do the things 
that we need to do to prove that we are followers of Christ. As the Father loves us, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. So I'm going to talk again about what that means. To abide in the love of Jesus means more than to simply receive it. It means to fully submit to it, to his will. It means to accept his correction when necessary. Man, I have a problem with that. I do not take, I'm going to tell you, I do not take criticism well. I'm getting better. Getting better. But, especially if I don't agree. If I think I correct again, what I think, I don't necessarily receive that well. That is my thing that I need to work on pretty good. I know uh, I told Pastor, I said, uh, this was a few years ago I told you this, about, there's about, back then, better now, but back then I told him, I said, there was three people on this entire world that can totally criticize me and I will know it's in love. And he's one of them. The other two are sitting over there. But I've learned through this walk that I'm not a perfect being. I don't make the perfect decisions all the time. I don't act the perfect way sometimes. And I have to consider the thoughts of other people as it relates to what I'm doing. So don't always reject criticism when it comes your way. Sometimes it is unnecessary. But always have that conversation with yourself as to whether or not this should be something you should be thinking about. It means to love and serve one another as Jesus has loved and served us. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and I abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. I want to reflect on that line a little bit. You will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Let's talk about that conversation Jesus must have had between God and himself when God said, okay, you're going to become a man. You're going to come down to, heaven, come down to earth. You're going to teach him. You're going to guide him. And then you're going to go through one of the most horrific things a human being has ever done. You're going to feel all that pain. You're going to bleed all that blood. You're going to have all those scars. You're going to receive all that negative hate. You're going to feel every bad thing a man can feel. You're going to take that all on because I love these people and I need you to do it for me. Jesus, as a flesh and blood man, he, I know he was God, but he was also man. As a flesh and blood man, had to take that on and say, you know what, Father, I abide in your will. Amen. Could you do it? I don't know. I'm so thankful because of the sacrifice of the Christ that I never have to really find out about that. Amen? Amen. Amen. Jesus really does want you to be happy, but God has made our joy to line up with his glory. 
Notice in John 15, 7, Jesus reveals how abundantly our Father desires to bless us, for he states we should ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. But then also notice that Jesus immediately follows up this statement by pointing out that God is glorified through us bearing fruit as disciples of Jesus. See there, Jesus pairs our desires and prayers with our desire to please the Father. So Jesus is not teaching us that God will grant us whatever we wish in the sense that God is just there to make us happy. Rather, if you desire to please the Father through producing fruit for Him, this desire will be answered by God if you pray for this. He will cause you to keep His commandments so that you can abide in God's love, which will then cause your joy to be full. And isn't that really what it's about? I mean, you put away all the stuff that you ask for. Isn't it really all about having joy, having peace, having love in Christ? Isn't that the, the, the prize, if you will? I just got a, I've been bragging about it for three weeks. I just got a new truck. I'm so proud of it. In about seven years, that truck's probably going to be going to the scrapyard. It's temporary. Right? My house is temporary. My body is temporary. But the love of the Father is eternal. We pray for things. We need to pray things that pray for things that will align with the eternal things that God already has planned for us. Yeah. As 1 John 3:22 also states, Whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and we do what pleases him. Again, we are not puppets, we are his children. And it pleases him to see us produce fruit in his name because he really just has our best in mind for us and that aligns with his will. So if you want God to give you the desires of your heart, your heart's desire must be to fulfill the will of God in your life. Next we have God will give you the desires of your heart after God has transformed your heart to desire Him and His will most of all. There isn't a day that goes by that I don't wake up, go out into the world, and I'm tempted to put worldly things ahead of him. Amen. Forgive me, Lord. So what is God's will? God's will is specific to each person's life and season in one sense. So we all have a specific thing that God is performing in your life. An example it could be, it could be in God's will for you to honor him as a single person, a young adult, even a child. And then one day it could be God's will for you to honor him in marriage. Start your family. Maybe minister to other couples. It could be God's will for you to work at your current job now, but then God would tell you to move one day. 
I know this relates to what Pastor has told us about his life. His, God's will was to put him in that factory, among other things, to meet me. Amen. Thankful for that. And then one day God told him, okay, it's time to move. Amen. And aren't you glad he's faithful? Amen. Aren't you glad our pastor's faithful? We have two young men in our praise team that are being asked to honor him right now as new fathers. So, there he is. And Mr. Mark. So that's a new transition for you. Not too long ago, you were just a young man with a wife, doing your thing. Now you have a son, uh, a child, daughter, I apologize. Now you have a child. And God's asking you to honor him in this way now. To follow his will is to be the best father you can be. And you're not always going to get that right. But keep looking to him and he'll direct you. I promise. Throughout life, our goal must be to actively follow God and go where he tells us to go. Even when it's hard. Even when you maybe have to break friendships. Maybe have to break up with a girlfriend or a boyfriend. Maybe have to try that new, maybe have to move. Try that new job where it's extra scary. Go back to school at an older age. You know? You follow God wherever He tells you to go. So, our purpose is to remain ready to move as He moves in our life. But another sense in our purpose always should remain the same. So, for this, God has the same purpose for each and every one of us. And that is to glorify God. Regardless of our, pro, our situation, our stay in life, everyone has the will to glorify God. In Psalm 89, 15-18, it reads, Blessed are those who have learned to acclaim you, who walk in the light of your presence, Lord. They rejoice in your name all day long, they celebrate your righteousness, for you are their glory and strength, and by your favor you exalt our horn. Indeed, our shield belongs to the Lord, our King, to the Holy One of Israel. It speaks in this psalm how our good is directly intertwined with God's glory. If you want to be blessed, you have to bless God by acclaiming Him. Those who are blessed are the ones rejoicing in God all day long. God's glory is what makes us glorious and strong. God uses His favor to bring favor onto us. Blessed are the ones rejoicing in God all day long. Does that mean if you have a five-minute period where you're getting a little negative that you're out of luck? That's not what that means. I believe that means that if God wants it to be in your will and in your person and in your nature to glorify Him, it needs to be what you are. Not always going to have the, the best praise, not always going to have the best worship, not always going to have the best glorification you might not always lift up God as you should but if you are in it for that 
God will recognize that. And thankfully, he's ones that will forgive our shortcomings. Thus, God will give you the desire of your hearts when your heart has been transformed to worship him above everything else, even yourselves. So I'm going to go into the second part here, and uh, I got into James for this, and I ain't going to lie, some of that is very kind of nerving for me, very, and I'm going to get into it in a minute, but I was a little, I had to read this again and again and again to make sure I felt like I had it right before I even put it down, because if you misinterpret this, it's not a great thing. So we went over what is required to receive the blessings we desire. Let's cover by far the most important one, that of salvation. God, John 3, John 3.16 reads, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, so ever shall believe in him, shall not perish, but have eternal life. That's pretty cut and straightforward, I think. And again, in Jonah 2.9, it says, Salvation is the great work of God in which he forgives sin and gives eternal life to a believing sinner as a free gift of his grace. It speaks very clearly in the word that we receive salvation by grace through faith. Pretty good deal. All I have to do is receive it, right? There seems to be a passage that tends to confuse some about this matter. And the line is in James, and it reads, who's got a guess? What do you think it reads? Nothing? It reads, faith without works is dead. If you don't know, that's a scary line. Because I just got done reading, I was under the impression that grace through faith gives me salvation. And then I hear grace or faith without works is dead. Doesn't that seem like a contradiction? Why God would never contradict himself in his word. So what does it mean? I had to read this a lot in order to make my mind right about it. James 2.19 tells us that even the demons believe there is one God. There, there is a difference between believing that there is a God and walking with him. I hesitate to define true faith ever in a person because only the Lord knows the heart. Amen. So I can't tell you what your faith is like. Only God knows your heart. I can't say if you, for, for fact, if you have received salvation, because again, only God knows your heart. However, when James shares with us is that we can see the evidence of beliefs, convictions, and lifestyles from others that can indicate that they are walking by the Holy Spirit. That is back to giving the good fruits of his will. I think about the fruit of the Spirit mentioned in Galatians 5, 
If someone proclaims Jesus as Lord and lives a life that produces the fruits of the Spirit, it is a good indicator that he has true faith. I've heard it kind of explained like this. I think this is kind of neat. Um, If you didn't know me, you wouldn't know that I was married, right? Now, I'm not wearing it right now, but if I had my wedding ring on, that would be your indication that I had a wife. You couldn't look inside me, but the physical attribute to your eyes would tell you that I am married, right? The same thing goes with how you walk and the fruits that you bring out. I can't tell you that you've received salvation. But if your fruits align with the goodwill of God, then I can see that. I can justify in your faith through what you've done. Does that make sense? James is one of those books that can often confuse those who read it for the first time because in some ways it sounds like James is contradicting what Paul says when Paul says that salvation is not by works but by faith alone. And I don't think James is contradicting Paul at all. I think James and Paul are on the same page. Paul says in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, For it is by grace that if you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. That's the, that's the passage that really gave me a lot of comfort when it said, it is the free gift of God, not by my works so that I may not boast. I believe that both these authors agreed that works do not save us. Paul then says in Ephesians 2 and 10, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So if we were made by God and created to do good works through Christ, would our deeds not be a result of our faith? For me, now we're getting somewhere. Our deeds are not a requirement for us to get saved when we're saved by Christ with a sincere heart. We are trans- our heart is transformed, and the evidence of that transformed heart is the good works we do. Amen. That made me feel a lot better because I was a little, a little weird in the beginning. If we place our faith in the Lord each day, we have an opportunity to seek His will, and to bless him and others with our decisions. True faith is active faith, not perfect faith. James 2, 23 through 26 says, and it got scary again for me, and the scripture was fulfilled that said, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. I'm sure you all know the the backstory with Abraham when God told him, take your son up to the top of the mountain and sacrifice him in my name. 
man. What would you say if God called on you to do that? So it says that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. I've got some more uh, sight on that in just a second. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in the different direction. As the body of the spirit as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. These verses can be confusing if misinterpreted. One could have da- and it could have damaging effects on a person. Abraham came before the time of Jesus, and therefore his faith in the coming savior saved him and Christ's righteousness was his own. See, Abraham was convinced that as long as he followed the will of God, even if it cost him his son in this case, he was convinced that he could raise, God would raise his son again. So he stayed righteous, he stayed on the path, he stayed following of God, and we all know the uh, end of that story, God spared the son. Righteousness is not salvation. Righteousness is the result of salvation. When a person is set apart by God, he lives his life for God. If we believe that James 2.26 promotes work-based salvation, this passage would inherently contradict the writings of Paul and the teachings of Jesus, which thankfully it does not. We are saved not by works or deeds, but by the grace of God, redeemed by his work on the cross. Again, if we were thought of as to have a body of works that would make us good enough, then we are to say that Jesus was not. I can't. If we are to try to live up to salvation and try to be good enough, aren't we saying that Jesus was not? So in summary, I believe Paul and James were saying the same thing, but from different approaches. We are indeed saved by grace, as the word says. If we are to sincerely receive his grace through Jesus, our hearts will change, our desires will change, and the fruits of this joyous transition will be seen by our works. So we are already saved by grace through faith. But that salvation, should we go at it sincerely, will transform our hearts and it will result in the good works that James was talking about. That's what I got out of that. So I hope this helps somebody today. This is what I have for you today. And I thank you for listening. And I appreciate your time. Thank you.